Um, in this collection, we're kind of looking at what are the essentials to living a Christian life. What, what does it mean to live this way? And as, as a church this year, our focus is continuing to look at some essential things. How do we become the radiant people of God? What is essential to being and becoming that, that radiance of the life of God in our lives? As a church, one of the things um, that we hold to are, are some mindsets. We have five mindsets as a church that are really central and core for us that help our minds and our attitudes and the culture around us move in a unified direction and in sync with one another. And uh, I want to re- one of them that we're going to look at today is this idea that we are rooted. Somebody say, we are rooted. And we're holding fast to Jesus, orthodox doctrine, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about our mindsets. But this mindset that we are rooted into something, we're rooted into a person of Jesus, we're rooted by the power of the Spirit, but, but we're also rooted in some ancient orthodox truths Things that aren't new, that haven't changed with fads and cultures and kings and rulers and, and, and what's in style and what's not in style. There are some ancient truths that from the very beginning, the people of God have held on to some orthodox truths. Today, I want to help us see something key, something that is some ancient truths, but some core truths. And, and that really centers around this one idea. And that's simply this, that Jesus is essential. That sounds really elementary, and we're like, oh, of course. It's like the Sunday school answer, boys and girls, what did you learn at church today? Jesus, right? Like, yes, it's true. Jesus is essential. I want to unpack that a little bit as we look at some orthodox doctrine today on the person of Jesus, Theology would call it Christology, this this understanding of who is the nature and the essence of this one we call Jesus, the Christ, the Savior. We're going to look at some of the writings that Paul has to help us understand it. Now, the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul around AD 60. And at the same, around this time, he was in prison. And he wrote several other books and letters that we now have in the New Testament. Books like Philippians and Philemon and Ephesians. And what's interesting is that Colossae, where, where, where he's writing this to this church, is about 100 miles east of Ephesus. And so they're dealing with some similar cultural things. They're not too far removed from one another. And so the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians have a lot of similarities as it relates to the things that Paul was writing and saying. Why? Because there was a predominant heresy that was circulating as it relates to the person of Jesus. They they kind of had this understanding and grabbed a hold of a teaching that wasn't orthodox, that wasn't true, that Jesus wasn't really God, he was just a man. That God, in who, was, who is spirit, did not come and live in a man. That Jesus wasn't the son of God, he was a good man, but he wasn't the son of God kind of man. And they had this, this heresy, they, they had other things that were wrong about their culture where they emphasized some festivals and strict living that really wasn't coherent with the truth and the person of who Jesus is. 
They had some, some things in the way that they lived as a culture growing up in that environment that needed some counterformation because they were growing in the wrong way. The way of their life was pointing them in the wrong direction. And so Paul was writing to them about some essentials of the Christian life. And he starts off here in Colossians 1 with, with a little bit of a, of a hymn, a lyrical creed around the person of Jesus. And we're going to look at this today. It's a, it's a lyrical creed. It's, it's, a, it's a set of truths that are really rich and robust in their theology and the theological understanding that is very, very vast, but they're consolidated statements that are succinct, that are potent, that are, that are kind of like a, uh, my family, we use this electrolyte mix where you take this powder that's concentrated down with, with lots and lots of uh, good things for you to put in your body to hydrate. And you, you take this consolidated or concentrated form and you put it in some water and that water kind of helps you absorb those nutrients into your body. It's a concentrated form of something true and powerful that you need. That's what a creed is. A creed is a memorable set of truths succinctly stated, but have deep and wide-ranging meaning. And we're about to see a creed around the person of Jesus, a lyrical creed. This is, this is why our songs that we sing is kind of important. Like today, we sing songs about you, you are holy forever. That's a, that's a truth about God. That God is holy forever. We, we say a truth that, God, you reign above it all. Everything that is seen and unseen, God is supreme. He rules. He's reign. He's sovereign. We were singing some of our, our faith today at the beginning of our, of our service. We stood together and we recited aloud the Nicene Creed, a set of statements around what we believe. We believe in God the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is glorified and worshipped. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of, of, of life in all of these areas, the, the one who birthed the church and redeems and renews and creates this global family and body of God. We, we're stating some things that we believe. Uh, uh, several years ago as a church here at Faith Church, we adopted the Nicene Creed as our official doctrine statements of what we believe. Because I believe the Nicene Creed breaks down the truths of God's word to some really important essentials. And it's essential that we understand and we believe these things. And so here in Colossians, we're going to see a little bit of a, a lyrical creed, a, a song, if you will, about Jesus the Christ and who he is because Jesus is, come on, say it with me, essential. He's essential. So Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 15. It says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Notice he wasn't created, but he's always existed. We're going to come to that here in a minute. It goes on to say this, For through him God created everything 
in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see. And he made the things we can't see. What do you mean? Well, such as thrones and authorities and kings and rulers in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Somebody say together. He holds all of this together. We're going to pause right there, and let me unpack some of the the richness that we just read in this lyrical creed of the Apostle Paul's. First thing he points to us as it relates to the essentials around Jesus is that Jesus is the image of God. He's he's the complete, the full image of God. He's the representation of something that we can't see. We we, we can't see God, the Almighty, the, the Spirit. He is Spirit. We can't see that. It's in the unseen realm. But it pleased God that we would know God, so he sent his Son as God, who is God, so that we could see what God looks like. If you want to know about God, get to know Jesus. Want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He is the visible replica, the visible image, the visible illustration and demonstration of all of the fullness of God himself. He is the complete image of God. This word image is uh, an interesting one. It's uh, in, in, the, in the Greek, it has this connotation of um, something that is cut from, formed from, like, like a rock that is hewn away from. It, it's this image, a visible picture of something. Jesus uses this word when he says, hand me a coin. And he says, whose image is on this coin? Is it Caesar's or is it God's? Well, it's, it's Caesar's. Okay, we'll give Caesar what's his and give God what belongs to, to him. It's this idea that, that there's something that has been crafted so that it can be seen and replicate something else. It, it's in the same way in which in the Hebrew, there, there is a word imago, this, this idea that, that, that we were created in the image of God. He created them male and female in the image of God to to replicate, to look like, to to, to be seen similar as. And this, this word imager has this idea or a connotation of something designed to represent something but also inhabit as well. This is why in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, have no carved or graved or hewn cut out images before me. No other gods, no idols, no carved images, statues that replicate something unseen and give it your worship. Don't do it. Now in the Protestant church, we've held to that pretty well. There are other sects of Christianity and Christendom where... We take art oftentimes and we hold it so holy that we'll stop and we'll, we'll think that there's something powerful in, in this image, in this thing, in this statue, in this, 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 this um, holy thing, if you will. 
the idea isn't that the thing is powerful, but rather it's representing something that is powerful, though. And in the case of Christ, he shows up in human form to fully be the image and an imager of all that God is. It was the fullness of God filled in the man of Jesus Christ. See, he's, he's the image. I was talking with one of our elders in between services, and, and he was saying how the, the Greek word for, for imager is also kind of where we get our word icon from. And he says, I love the idea that, like, Jesus is the icon of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's the icon of the, the fullness of God. And if you double-click on the icon, you get a clearer picture of who the Father is and who the Spirit is and the triune nature of who God himself. You get a, get a fuller picture of this idea because Jesus came to be the image of the unseen God. And, and, and he took on human flesh. He moved into the neighborhood where humanity lived to represent and be God with us. Jesus is the complete image of God. Jesus is also the creator. He's the creator. All things were created. In the beginning, he was. Not was made, he was already made. John tells us that nothing was made except for through him. And through him, all that was made is made. In other words, in the very beginning, when all that was being created, the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit were present, and, and those things that had already been in existence were there, and he made all things through him. Jesus was in the beginning, not made but made all things. He's the creator, the master craftsman who knows your name, who knows the number of hairs on your head, who foreordained your thoughts and knows who you are. He was there in the beginning, dreaming up the purpose that God has for he was there in the beginning. He knows your name. He knows your face. He knows your hearts. He knows your faults. He knows your successes. He longs to know you personally. The creator, God, knit you together. And he is the one who brings us life from the very moment of conception. Jesus is the creator. He's the creator. And as we talk about Jesus and we double click on him and see the image and the icon of God and trying to understand the creator and, and God's like, hey, let us do this. And the, the, these, these beings that are present, it's, it's hard to describe something that's indescribable, isn't it? Like it's really hard for me to describe the beauty of my wife. It is just absolutely indescribable. Is she smiling? Is she nervous? Like, I'm trying to see if I'm winning points or if I'm getting in trouble. Y'all got to, like, help me out here. Like, it's, when we talk about God Almighty, Father, Son, and Spirit, how in the world are you supposed to describe something so powerful yet so mysterious and also personal? How do we describe something that is beyond our comprehension? I don't know. It's a really hard thing. In fact, one of the hardest truths to articulate and grasp in our finite minds and the limited capacity that we have access to in our brains is this idea of the trinity how there is god the father god the son and god the holy spirit they are individual but unified they are equally eternal always having been and always will be and yet equal in power. And how do we understand this? Over the years, people have tried to talk about the, the Trinity. Maybe they've, you've heard it explained as, as a triangle. 
all connected together and equal in its length and sides, but connected nonetheless. Different points of divinity, but all linked together. Maybe you heard it described as an egg. You have the shell, you have the yolk, and you have the white. Which part is the egg? It's all the egg. Which part is God? All of it is God. Father, Son, and Spirit. That's, we try to articulate. It's, it's like a three-braided cord, right? You've got one strand, two strand, three strand, all woven together in perfect unity, bringing power and might of Yahweh Almighty himself, but they are still distinct but unified. How is this the case? I, I don't know the best way to articulate this mystery it's almost as if when you look at the person of Jesus, who is the complete picture of God, you see that the Father wills it, Jesus does it and embodies it, and it was the Holy Spirit who empowers it. This is what God came to create and show us, and Jesus is the creator. And, and, and all three, Father, Son, Spirit, are worthy of our worship, our adoration, and our submission and obedience. How do you describe the indescribable? I don't know, but sometimes it's helpful just to succinctly grab statements like he is the image of God and he is the creator. But that's not all that Paul is trying to help us understand. He, he wants us to understand that he, he is the image of God, he is the creator, and Jesus is supreme, meaning he's the first. He, he was the first one there. Episode one of many episodes of the life and the story of God to come. He was the first of, of many. He is the first in an order of those to come after, and he is first in the priority of preeminent importance. You do realize that when we talk about priority, you only get one top priority. The minute something is your second priority, it is no longer priority. He is supreme. He is first. He is the first one of many sons. He was the first human to be resurrected as, a, as an example and a promise of what will come for all who follow and believe in him. We don't believe that we just die and go to heaven. We believe that one day we all experience the same resurrection power of Jesus. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 and Paul, and this is what's uniquely different about Christian hope. It's not just that we go somewhere when we die, but when Christ returns and renews all things, we experience the same resurrection life that Jesus experienced. He is the first fruit of God's new creation. Scripture says Jesus is supreme. It, it says this. It says that uh, at the end of verse 16, everything was created through him because he was first, and it was all created for him. It's meant to flow back to him. Everything in our life was created from God and designed to point and flow back to God. Anything in our life is a gift from God, but if it doesn't point back to God, we are pointing amiss. In the Bible, there's a word that we hear. It's called sin. Sin is an archery term meaning to miss the mark. What's the mark? The mark is Jesus. In other words, if there's anything in your life that you recognize, everything in our life, it comes from God, but if it's not pointing back to Jesus, 
If it's pointing to yourself, if it's pointing to success, if it's pointing to, to, to worldly standards, if it's pointing to your priorities and your preferences, if it's pointing back to something other than Jesus, it's a miss. It's missing the, the mark. It's missing the thing. Everything in our life was made from Jesus and made to return back to him in worship and praise. This is why you give God your whole life and not just the compartments of your life called religion. This is why we, we, we give God all of our being, not just the parts that we're most comfortable with in our being. The, the, the idea of following Jesus is about following him and following the way of Jesus in which he gets all of who we are, not just the convenient parts of who we are. Not just the parts that we recognize are broken and messed up, and if he doesn't show up, then it's not going to work. No, no, no. He gets all of who we are, all of our life. It comes from him, and it's meant to point back to him because everything was made from him and for him because he is supreme over all. So anything in our life that is not aimed at him is amiss. In your business, is your business operating in a way that you recognize is from God? But are you operating in your business life in a way that points back to God? Are you lazy? Because that doesn't point back to God. God, that's, that's not of the Lord. Everything is from God. He's given you the time and energy. In your business, are you, are you living in, uh, in good godly principles in a way that honors the Lord? Are you taking advantage of people and not, not taking care of them because that becomes a, a miss? Is, is in your business, are you, are you utilizing the, the funds that God has gifted you in a way? Are you pointing those back to God where he's the priority and the point? In your parenting, in your parenting, is the goal of your parenting at the end of the way, uh, the things that bother you the most as a parent? Does it bother you when your kids don't behave because it makes you embarrassed? Or, or does it bother you because their behavior isn't pointing back to Jesus? It's easy to miss. It's easy to miss some things. The, the goal of our life, and you're coming to church, we recognize he gives us life and forgiveness and freedom. It's a gift from him. And in our church and in our worship and our, in our service and in our, in our, in our livelihood in the body of Christ, are we pointing back to him or are we only pointing back to our life wanting to be better? I just need a new version of me and I need this to be better and I need him to fix this and I need this and I need that and I need, rather than recognizing that all of my life and my worship and my spiritual life, he flourishes when I point it back to him. Anything in our life that is not flourishing often is an indicator that we're missing the point and it's off. If you want to experience the flourishing life of God, we recognize that all things come from God and are meant to flow and point back to God. In our finances, gifts from the Lord. Are you pointing back to the Lord with them? There's a way in which we flourish in our life, and we have to understand if we're going to flourish in our life, it's because we recognize that Jesus is essential. He's not only essential because he's important, because he was the first, it's because everything comes from him, and everything is the point. Jesus is the point, and 
Then he ends this section by saying he existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. In other words, Jesus is the sustainer of the flourishing life. Jesus is the one who starts the flourishing life and he's the one who sustains the flourishing life. He's the one who sustains the abundant life of God. He's the one who sustains all of life itself. Your very being is being sustained by God. He gave you breath in your lungs, and if he stops the breath in your lungs, then you stop breathing. That's why the scripture says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's why we sing out loud. That's why we tell God thank you when we pray. That's why we use our words to love on the Lord and to praise the Lord because he gave us breath and we want to return it back to him and I really hope he doesn't take it away from us. It's back to him. uh, Several years ago, I heard uh, Pastor Louis Giglio talk about um, this proton uh, molecule, this protein molecule rather, in our bodies called laminin. It blew blew my mind for for a lot of different reasons, but he was talking about laminin, how uh, it's like this this, uh, glycoprotein and it's imperative uh, for the maintenance and the vitality of our tissues. Um, In fact, if, if you have defective laminin in your body, it can cause muscular, um, y- your muscles to, to form improperly, ca- causing like muscular dystrophy. It can lead to um, issues that affect your skin blistering and not being taken care of. It, it can cause, uh, if your, 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 your laminate isn't operating correctly, if it's defective, it can cause the kidney filter in your body to not operate as it was designed. It's not just that the protein is important because it's, it's, he, he explains it like this, that, that laminate is like the, the, the rebarb of the human system. It like holds it all together. And what's fascinating and, and just kind of like funny and like, oh, I see what you did there, God, kind of a thing, is that when you look at this particular protein molecule under, under the microscope, it's always in the shape of a cross because all of your human existence your very physical being created by Jesus held together as the sustaining point of life by Jesus Jesus is the sustainer of our life he is essential Paul goes on to unpack this idea that Jesus being so essential that we get it right. He says this in verse 18. Colossians 1 verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. There's that idea that he is first again. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So again, you want to know what Christ is, what God is like, the fullness of God, the Son, the Spirit, all of it together. Just double click into to the person of Jesus and you see the fullness of God in him. He was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace, wholeness, completeness with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is the head of the church. 
Church is a word that uh, in the Greek, ekklesia, which means assembled or gathered ones. In other words, you aren't the church by yourself. Can't go to church by your, like on your own. In, in our world, we recognize that organizations and institutions and the gatherings that are organized and led by humans who are fallible. And, um, and, and I, I do not discredit or discount that many people, many of you, have been hurt and wounded by the church, by organizations, by people, maybe trying to manipulate, trying to create legalism, trying to, 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 to distort something in your life, feeling manipulated in some way, hurt, abused even. But at the end of the day, we can't overcorrect into a wrong heresy that says I can be the church in nature by myself. No. You can talk to the Lord and you can have communion with the Lord, but you're not the church. You can't assemble and gather with people if you're by yourself. <laughs> not an assembly at that point. <laughs> the church is this assembled body, family. In other words, you and I, when we put our faith in Christ, are baptized into a family, adopted into a family, brought in and identified as members in the body of Christ. And all throughout the week, we scatter as members all over the place. And when we gather together, we, as a dismembered set of, of, of family of God, we come together in remembrance and remembering together what it means to be in the family of God. And we gather together and, and recognize that I am not the body of Christ by myself. I'm just a loud mouthpiece in the body of Christ. And you are a part of the body that comes together. And it's in our gathering that we represent the body. Not in our scattering. It's in our gathering that we represent the body. And Jesus said, the world will know that you're my body, that you're my family, that you're my disciples by the way you love and care for one another. And in our world where, where so many people have been hurt by the gathered people of God, we've stopped loving the body and we started trying to love the world. And in loving the world, we've just tried to live like the world. And we wonder why it's been a mess. Because we lost sight of what it looks like to, to be the body. And he's the head. He's the head. He's not a decapitated head that's been beheaded. Just roaming around. I love my head of Jesus. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Well, you've just severed the very thing. To love Jesus is to love his body. Can I tell you, um, I've given my life and will continue to give all of my life to the local church in big picture form, but in this localized space here, I've made a covenant with this house. I'm giving my life to this place. And this may surprise you. Um, I, I'm not giving my life to this place because I love you. Although I do. I'm giving my life to this place, to this local body, because I love Jesus. And I'm, I'm recognizing he's the head of this family and body. And I love him a whole lot. So I'm going to love you a whole 
lot. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the first of it, the, the, the principal one. He's the point of it all, and our lives are meant to point back to, to him. When, when, we, when we talk about everything comes from God and flows from God and is meant to point back to God or to Christ, it's important that we recognize that the principle of the first always was meant to reveal Christ. In other words, recognizing everything came from God and is supposed to point back to God is, is a representation of the priority and the supremacy and the headship of who Christ is. That we do what he says because he's in charge. And so in my obedience to Christ, everything from Christ, I point back to Christ. How many of you uh, remember tuning in on our Sabbath Sunday, and I talked about the uh, trifecta of humanism that day and how it became the, the world system is kind of like this trifecta of evil that is unseen but is trying to materialize in icons and images in our world. And at the end of John, 1 John, uh, the, the entire book ends like this, Dear children, keep your hearts away from anything that would steal your love for God. Other versions say, keep your hearts from idols, images, images of the world, idols in the world. The way of the world system wants to steal all, everything comes from God, but the way of the world wants you to point to those things instead of back to God with those things. And we talked about the trifecta of humanism is, is sex, power, and money. These three things nobody wants the church to talk about, but God has a whole lot to say about all three of them. Why? Because these are three of the greatest. It is the triple-headed demonic force of the enemy to distort you. It is the mark of the very beast of our world that will mark us in a way for damnation instead of for the kingdom of God and his glory. I just said a mouthful, and I'm really sorry if it went over your head. Power, money, sex. These three things we, we are luring behind the scenes of the images and the ways of our culture, getting us to point in the wrong direction. All three of them require counterformation so that we live in the way of Jesus instead of the way of the world. What was happening in Colossus and so many of the other churches, they recognized Jesus, they loved Jesus, they wanted to serve Jesus, but they were living in a cult culture that had nothing to do with Jesus. And the culture was telling them what to do with their sexuality, what to do with their money, and what to do with their own power and agency. All three of these, throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, are represented in idols and false gods that people would worship and exchange, where if you did a certain thing according to the culture and according to the way this idol wanted you to do it, it would promise you something good, a flourishing life in the area of your sexuality, a flourishing life in the area of, of power, might, military conquest, and in the sense of uh, business and prospecting and, and money. Power, money, sex, power, money, sex. The way of Jesus has some key counterformation practices to help keep your heart from pointing in the wrong direction when it comes to sexuality. The way of Jesus tells you what to do with your sexuality. And if we recognize that it is a gift from God, it points back to God, we find the satisfaction and the fulfillment in God. And so anything that we're using sexuality to point in a way not to God, it will ultimately lead to a deterioration of the life of God as he intended it. 
when it comes to our, our, our power, our own agency. Nobody can tell me what to do. Do what I want. Let's, oh, I don't like what they're doing. Let's just bomb them and call it good. Military conquest. Let's go. There's a reason Jesus came as a humble servant and says, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. Because in our decision to serve one another, despite our differences, and I give of my time and my effort, and my, I'm allowing myself to be inconvenienced, and I'm willing to sit down and serve you, even if I don't like you, I'm putting myself in a place that points the power and agency of all of my will back submitted and surrendered that points me back to Jesus. In the area of my money, the counterformation that the scripture tells us in practice is giving God the first, tithing. Returning to him what is his. So, so, so I hear it, I get it, it's from God. I'm gonna make sure with the, the blessing of the financial things, I'm pointing it back to God. And in, and in prioritizing and pointing back to God, I'm recognizing that Jesus is the head of my life. And I'm not wanting my heart to go in the direction of the way of the world. I'm not wanting my heart to go after idols and other images. I'm wanting my life and my heart to go towards the person of Jesus. And Jesus is the only one that can make your life flourish abundantly. And any attempt that we have to take the things from God, the things in our life, and point it somewhere other than at Jesus... We miss the point and we miss out on flourishing that God has intended for us. Feels helpless at times. It's like, I don't, I don't know that I have what it takes. You don't. And that's why this last essential of Jesus is so important. Jesus is the reconciler. He's the one who looks at the account of your life and recognizes, oh man, you've been missing a lot. And he recorrects the aim of our life back to the Father, Son, and Spirit. He recorrects the aim of our life and says, Yeah, I'm going to reconcile you back in the right place. This word reconcile is this idea that, that we were separate and we need to be reconciled back to God. We were separated because we kept living a life amiss of sin and we need to be reconciled. And it has this connotation of there was a ledger of a debt so large you couldn't reconcile the debt no matter if you tried to pay it back on your own or not. It's too great a debt for you to pay on your own. And you needed an act of God to erase that debt. So God acted. Sent his son in human form to live a perfect life, die on a cross, and give his blood as payment that washes the debt ledger in heaven away so that you could be made right and receive the life of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Friends, this is, this is the essentials of Jesus and his gospel. He's the image of God. He's the creator. He's supreme. He's the sustainer. He's the head of the church. And he wants to reconcile all of your humanity that is living off target, living amiss, where he's given you something and you've missed it. And he says, I've come to, to remedy that. I've come to realign that. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I've come to give you life and give you the power to live a godly life. I, I know many people that kind of our early stages of following Jesus. And it's like, man, I, I really believe in this Jesus thing. I know I need forgiveness. I want to live for him. But, 
I got a, I got a lot of stuff amiss in my life. And some of this stuff, I'm not sure I've got the power or the ability to like make right, but, but I really want to try. I, re- I really want to, I, I want to do the right thing with, with my money. I want to do the right thing in my parenting. I want to do the right thing with my life. I want to, I want to kind of clean up myself because I'm not worthy of God. And I don't, I don't think I could do this. And you're right. You can't. Friends, you will never have the power to live your life on target for God without God. It takes the life of God, the life of Jesus, a life surrendered to Him that allows the power of God to realign and re-aim your life back to Him too. It takes God to point back to God. This is why Jesus came. And I know many people, they're like, man, I, I plan to get baptized. I plan to, you know, kind of go through growth track and join the church and give and be a partner and serve. I plan to do all of that. I just, I want to quit this thing in my life. I want to, I need, I need this to settle down in my life. I need this thing to, the only problem is you, you, you don't have the power to do that on your own. And until you surrender to God, your life will always be a miss pointing away from God. The minute you surrender to Him, He gives you the power. This leads me to the very last thing that I want to say today. And it's this. That it's Jesus over everything. Jesus is essential. And it's Jesus over everything. In other words, Jesus has the power to change everything. When you allow Jesus to be the head over every area of your life, you'll see the power to change in your life. And your life will not change until you get the power of Jesus in your life. He has the power to change your life. But it's not just Jesus having the power to change everything. It's Jesus over everything, meaning that he is the priority we choose over everything. For those of you that have received of the power of Jesus, the life of God living in you, it's time for us to say it's Jesus over everything. I want to choose Jesus over everything in my life. He is the priority I choose. I want to love Jesus more. I want Jesus more than I want anything else in my life. I want Jesus more than I want the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. And I want them to win the Super Bowl again really bad. Because I got some friends who like to run their mouth. And I like being able to say, see, just maybe it's wrong motives. Maybe I need to repent and they will. I don't know. But friends, I want to love Jesus more than the people who were willing to sit in the stands last night in the game because they love the environment and love the space. It's great. But I still want Jesus more. I want Jesus more than I want all my financial things to be in order. I want Jesus more. I want Jesus more than I want notoriety. I want Jesus more than I want. I want Jesus more than I want a growing church. I believe in a growing church. I believe our church is growing. I love people finding life in Christ and growing in the flourishing way of Jesus. I love that. I'm giving my life to that. But if I never stand on another stage, if I never lead another church, if I quit tomorrow, I still want Jesus more. 
I want it more than anything. Let me say it this way. I really want to want him more than anything. I don't always choose him as the priority, but I want to always choose him as the priority. I want Jesus over everything. And when we allow Jesus to be over everything personally, he has the power to change our hearts. And when, when he changes our hearts, we then have the power to make him our priority over everything. You want to know, I said it in the first, I'll say it this way and then I'll explain why I said it. In our community here in Fort Scott, there's a lot of things we need to see. I long, I, I want to see a hospital, a vibrant space in that region, in, in, in Fort Scott. I long, I I want a hospital here. Great medical access. I want it. But I want Jesus more than I want Fort Scott to thrive. I want to see jobs move into the area and stop leaving the area. I pray for it. I want to see God show up in that way. But if all of my life unravels, I still want to want Jesus more than my life being some picture-perfect thing. And it's, I believe with all of my heart, this takes a longer conversation, so just trust, trust the love that I have. I believe with anything in our area, God begins to change people's hearts. Priorities begin to change in a way that point back to God. And when things begin to point back to God, things begin to flourish. Our community is feels like we're coming around the mountain all over again. Here we go again. Back to the same spot. More disappointment, more this, more that. Jesus has the power to break the stronghold that has kept our community in a certain spot. And the answer isn't more greed. And the answer isn't more power or abuses of. It's actually in a surrender to the power of Jesus to say, Jesus, change me. And it starts with each of us. Each of us saying, Jesus, change me. Jesus, let me choose you. And watch how our lives point back to Jesus, the flourishing life and a flourishing community begin to exist because people begin to flourish because they reprioritize heaven even in the midst of humanity all around us. Would you stand with me? I I recognize... what I said may be unsettling or create confusion and that's not my desire nor is it a a dispersion on anything or anyone I, I just deeply believe that Jesus is essential and it needs to be Jesus over everything I deeply believe that in a church to flourish Jesus has to be essential and has to be Jesus over everything in our hearts. 
I think that in your marriage, Jesus has to be essential and Jesus needs to be over everything. In every area of our life, Jesus needs to be essential and it needs to be Jesus over everything. His power over it and our priority to choose him first. Would you bow your heads? Just simply ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where is Jesus not my priority? Thank you that in moments of stillness we can recognize your presence. Where we're not distracted, where we're not trying to busy ourselves or rush through something, but we just stop. Our attention can become aware of you here with us. Jesus, you love us deeply. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would surrender to your power as first, as supreme, as over everything and that our daily lives would point back to you as the priority that we choose in every arena of our life. Thank you, Jesus, that you reconciled us to the Father, inviting us into a life and a faith that flourishes in that way. May it be Jesus over everything. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who abides in us, we pray. And everybody said, amen. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we wanna help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I wanna ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link, just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.